The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. My guest today is Rich Bendis. He's an entrepreneur, a corporate executive, a venture capitalist, investment banker, innovation and technology-based economic development leader, and international speaker. He's a consultant on innovation and economy building, and many of you may know him from when he was the president and CEO of KTEC right here in the Kansas City area. So we're very fortunate to have Rich on the show today, and he's going to be talking about none other than innovation. Welcome to the show today, Rich. Uh, thanks, Kelly. I'm glad to be there, and I uh, wish I was back in Kansas City to go check out my home in Overland Park. Ah, well, and, and you do still get back here when KU is, is playing, and uh, we we are hoping to get you back here to speak sometime as well as uh, the show today. Let's get let's get all on the same page first of all about what we're talking about here. When you think or you talk about innovation, what what exactly are you talking about, especially in the 21st century? Are you talking about inventions, patents, revolutions within industries, and who are the players? I know there's a lot of questions, but let's, let's just get focused on what we're really talking about here because it can mean a lot of different things to different people. Well, I think it's a great way to start, Kelly, because uh, there's a misnomer about what innovation really is. and. Uh, especially when I'm talking to cities, regions, countries, uh, or states around the world who want to in, uh, enhance their economies, uh, it evolved around the dif- real difference between technology and innovation. And, and, you know, everybody's trying to build technology-based economic development programs. That means that you really have to have a product, a company that's marketing and promoting a product, and uh, the whole company is built around a technology product. Now, innovation is a lot different. A pr- innovation can involve a process, a system, a service, a different way of doing business, a different way of communicating, uh, and a different way of partnering. So innovation is br- much more broad-based. It's more encompassing. And whether you're a low-tech or a high-tech business, whether you're small or large, you you can take advantage of innovation, and it doesn't mean that you have to actually develop a technological product at the end of the cycle. Uh, you can be innovative in the way uh, like we are talking today on this radio show and the way that this is going to be broadcast, a different form of communication of getting to entrepreneurs and small businesses about emerging trends. So I like the new definition today, and I I have basically uh, transferred all of the talk from technology-based economic development to innovation-based economic development and how do we grow economies and support innovative small businesses. 
Absolutely. And I don't want you to get away today without, uh, usually I do this at the end of the show, but I, I want to make sure that we get this in. You write or you compile an amazing daily newsletter on innovation, and it's something that any of our listeners today who are interested in innovation in the broad manner that you just described should be reading every day. And How, how do they subscribe to that? Thanks, Kelly. The uh, Innovation Daily uh, is basically accessible free to anyone in the world, uh, and the URL to get to the newsletter is uh, www.innovationamerica.us forward slash daily. The other thing, if they can't find it, with that they can go to my website, which is innovationamerica.us, and you'll see on the home page that we publish 25 new articles every day, uh, and we aggregate this information from all over the world, uh, and the focus is on innovation, trends, technology, entrepreneurs and small business, access to capital, what's going on in public policy, and what's happening with somewhat in the economic development world in the regions and clusters. Yeah, it's absolutely, for, for anyone who is trying to grow a business, it's, it's absolutely essential if you want to see what's going on in the larger world in any of these areas. It's become my Bible. I read it every single day and, and, and many of the articles in it. So Thanks, Kelly. Yeah, it, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful tool. Okay, so, so you're talking about this expanded version of innovation, and let's, let's talk about why it's so important. We just come out of what has now been dubbed the Great Recession, and innovation is being looked at as a, as a real driver for taking us, pulling us out of it and taking us into whatever the future holds, the new economy that you hear so much about. Why, why, why innovation? Why, why is it so important for uh, our future? Well, in the past, basically, everybody was looking at, uh, you know, how do we increase jobs uh, in the economy? And it was around basically improve new product introductions, uh, improving market shares. And I think what's happening that we're seeing today is with increased productivity uh, and the incorporation of technology into manufacturing processes and with the manner in which people are communicating uh, and publishing today, uh, innovation and technology are playing a dramatic role in our economy, and it doesn't always relate to creating more jobs. And unfortunately, the reason that we all have to focus on innovation, it doesn't make any difference whether we have a lifestyle business uh, a regional business, national or a global business, we we need to focus and be closer to our customers, uh, our clients. We need to partner more effectively with our suppliers. And if we use the innovation tools that are available today, we will be more competitive. And so, as we talked in the in the opening with the definition of innovation, it's just not about the product. It's about it's about the the process, the service, and the manner in which we deliver our services. Uh, just look what's going on in the communication industry and uh, all of the consolidation that's occurring. And, you know, we always used to be mad at AT&T in the way that uh, we didn't like the service they were providing. I get four bills each month now from my communication providers. <laughs> I don't, sometimes innovation is a blessing and sometimes it's a curse. Uh, so the, the key is how do you opportunistically take advantage of 
the local or the global opportunities, incorporate innovation into uh, your everyday lifestyle and, and your business, uh, and enable yourself and your company to be more competitive uh, in the marketplace. You know, let, let's stay with that for a minute. I want to go back and talk about the, the larger global economy and the uh, – the innovation ecosystem, but but let's stay here with the individual businesses for just a moment. When you talk about innovation within those businesses, I talk to business owners every day who are inundated with the next great idea, and a lot of times that can become overwhelming because not all of those ideas are going to be uh, – they're going to be wild goose chases. And so with all your work with entrepreneurs and with innovation leaders throughout the world, what advice can you give to that business owner who is wanting to innovate, whether – you know in the broad sense, whether it's a system, a process, maybe it is a product – but how you stay focused and really what kind of questions do you have to ask yourself in order to to source and manage all of those ideas that come at you, those so-called opportunities? Well, basically there's three C's to focus on, and that's the customers, the clients, uh, and you know what, I just forgot the third. It will come back to me, but the key is you need to listen to what your customers and your clients needs are. Um, and a, a lot of the future direction you need to go is driven by your customers. The other is uh, your suppliers, um, because a lot of businesses are not vertically integrated and are dependent by, on other people for either raw materials, good services that are provided to them. And uh, if you pay attention to how much you have to turn to other people for their services or the outsourcing that you're doing, uh, those are new business opportunities. Uh, and the other thing is I think people get to, and especially small businesses, would get so focused on meeting payrolls and cash flow that they're not aware of some of the opportunities that are around them every day because they're so hunkered down on their business. And I think that a lot of people pass up these op- pass up opportunities that uh, that they're they're not aware of uh, that other people capitalize on because uh, they are more intuitive and I th- unfortunately I think people have to think a little more open-mindedly. Uh, everybody talks about thinking out of the box. I think entrepreneurs, even small businesses, need to be close to their customers, understand their markets, look at emerging trends that are going on, not even in their local market, what's happening in the same businesses in other cities or regions in the United States or around the world uh, where people are actually uh, enabling their businesses to grow based on uh, different trends which they have taken advantage of. So the key is even if it's local, even if it's a small firm, three to five employees, even if it's a retail shop, what are those trends that are emerging? And, you know, that's one of the reasons I got into my daily newsletter, Kelly, is that, you know, as a professional practitioner in doing what I do, uh, speaking, consulting, and actually making investments, I thought one of the best ways for me to follow trends uh, was to take a look at what was going on around the, the world. And believe it or not, in order to publish the newsletter, I look at between 500 to 1,000 articles every day. I don't read every one of them. But I, I am so much more aware of uh, innovation, capital, economy trends around the world 
Uh, and even though it takes uh, several hours of my day, it's part of my business model, I feel I'm so much more aware to compete in what I do every day based on, on the way I'm observing what's going on around me. So if I had one piece of advice for uh, your listeners out there that are small business owners, there is so much information available today that if you get focused on the type of information in your business that you feel you need to stay competitive locally, regionally, uh, nationally, or globally, uh, I think they're going to be much better um, uh, better off in the future. Right. And, and so now let's take that up to the global the global economy to the to what's out there in that larger world. Uh, what you, you've got this this model? I've, I've seen it on on a slide uh, that you either put in your newsletter or it's on your website or somewhere. But you have a very nice slide that actually is is a pictorial of the innovation ecosystem. Talk to us about that ecosystem. Who are the players? What are what are the um, the essentials within that? innovation ecosystem that, that spans from that maybe three- to five-person small business to global conglomerates and includes policymakers. And talk to us about that ecosystem and how it's all interrelated. Uh, you have an advantage. You've been looking at my website and my presentations, and uh, what I have to do is pull up while we're talking. But that's the we have the magic right now, and I think I know what you're talking about. It's called the Innovation Innos Ecosystem, and the slide talks about input, the interaction fields, and the output. So from an input standpoint, uh, we're talking about uh, and innovation ecosystems, which are all-encompassing. Uh, you start with knowledge in your input, and knowledge is gained from many different sources. Uh, as we talk, knowledge can be um, generated from uh, your your customers, your employees, uh, from academic institutions, from what government trends are, and then more importantly, in that input side. What is going on with your business from a research standpoint in what I would refer to as both basic and translational? Basic meaning you're doing research for the advancement of knowledge, but more importantly, translational research is where I'm more focused, where people are focused on something that can go from a laboratory, whether it's a product or a service, and actually get into the commercial market. Right. In that in that input stage, though, then you want to get to a proof of concept position to where you actually prove that something works. In doing that, then you get into this area in the middle, which we call the interaction fields. Who do you interact with, basically, when you have created something at this proof of concept stage? You basically have uh, all of the education and human resources. You have all of these networks of individuals uh, and clusters uh, that you have the ability to interact with to test the concept. You have funds. You have basically public and private funds uh, to determine whether or not anybody is interested enough in your concept uh, to be able to actually invest real money, whether it's a grant or an investment or an angel or a venture capitalist or a KTEC, as we were talking about. And then more importantly, uh, or do you exist in your interaction field in a regional cluster? And we know that the animal health uh, industry in the Kansas City area is one of the most vibrant clusters for animal health in the United States, which means you have a much better opportunity to interact in animal health 
business because of the presence of the major players there than in some other industries where there isn't a high concentration. And so uh, the presence of clusters is very important in these interaction fields. The other thing is university and industry collaborations. How can you interact and develop partnerships with people at the university level and the researchers and their laboratories who might have access to technology, research, uh, and assets that you don't have availability to get yourself. After you get past these interaction fields and do some of this interaction, I believe one of the most critical stages right now is taking your idea from proof of concept to proof of relevance. And the term proof of relevance is so important because today if you're looking for investment from an independent outside investor, whether it's an angel, a VC, uh, whether it's a, a grant, an SBIR, or whatever it might be, if you're not relevant today and you're just developed that you have a conceptual idea that works, relevance means you have a customer, they paid for your product or service, uh, it's scalable to be something more than a lifestyle company, uh, and you have the ability to mass produce or mass deliver what you're doing to, to show that you really are relevant. So I think for people today that are listening that have ideas, they have to get to the relevant stage, and that means they might have to bootstrap their business because the investors want to see you at that stage today more than just at the concept stage. So you have to be able to be a little more nimble, find ways to do more with less to get to relevance. Then the output side of this uh, is if you do this successfully, you're going to generate rest revenues, you're going to generate customers, there's going to be new jobs created, there's wealth created for everybody within the ecosystem, you have new products and services, and at the end of the day, we've created wealth that can be reinvested back into the ecosystem. Very simple process, Kelly. Yeah, and, and that slide just said it all. So I would encourage any of you who are interested in – it really explains what Rich started out when he gave the, the new definition of innovation. It shows who all the key players are and what the, the process is almost in a funnel-like fashion, how, how it progresses from one to the next. So, uh, again, go out to his website and, and take a look at that. Rich, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to continue to talk with you about something that you mentioned just a few minutes ago, and that is, you know, the, the proof of rel or the relevance factor in order to get the capital. I want to talk about the capital climate for innovation. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, so don't, don't go away, everybody. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Magazine. Our guest today is Rich Bendist, who is an expert on global innovation. He's talking with us today about what the new definition of innovation is, and we're talking very broadly all the way from you sitting there in your office and perhaps having a new idea, what it takes to get that to market, and what the implications are for funding. And that brings me to uh, my next question, Rich, and that is... You mentioned that an idea, you have to even get past the proof of concept. You have to get to the relevant stage where you've actually had a buyer, where you've proved that it's scalable, where you can get to mass markets in terms of your deliverable. So it's, it's a different world out there, it sounds like. What is the climate for getting getting capital? I mean, used to, there was VC-backed. Is that still a relevant model? Uh, what, are, what are some of the different trends that are going on? Uh, well, Kelly, it's a, it's a great question, and uh, I talk a lot about the valley of death. And 
the valley of death is uh, from that point where you know the family and friends, the entrepreneurs and the small businesses, and we call it the three F's, the friends, family, and fools have invested their money. And then you're trying to get your formal first stage of outside investment, hopefully from a sophisticated investor. And what's happening now is that unless you're in the social innovation world, and when I talk about that is you've got an IT application or an iPhone or an iPad app or something that is very easy to develop, very low cost, can get to market quickly, and you can find out whether it works or doesn't, most other areas are really struggling to get capital today. And uh, it used to be that, you know, the gap used to be a half a million to $2 million. Now it's more half a million to $5 million. Wow. Um, and the time to get there is that if you're not relevant, you're not going to get there. And then and the, the hot areas right now are generally clean tech, which is very capital intensive, Life sciences and biosciences, also long-term and capital intensive, and what I would classify as cybersecurity, which may not be as long-term. They get sort of into the ITOT world. These are, those are sort of the three priority areas for VCs right now. Let's talk a little bit about trends, though, within the uh, equity and the risk capital markets. Um, you've got KTEC in your backyard who has been a major funder of small businesses for years. The trend for a little while longer, maybe. We don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really disappointed to hear that, Having uh, as I follow what's going on there, because I think it's an unbelievable mistake, as other states in the United States are developing entities like a KTEC, and KTEC has one of the best practices in the U.S., and people within that state can't recognize that, the KTEC model is going to be emulated by other states, and we're going to find some way to destroy something we've taken 25 years to build, and we've built so many successful entrepreneurial companies with KTEC's assistance. So right. I will get off of that soapbox. <laughs> uh, but well, I'll I, add to it here real quickly. I mean, a state like Kansas within the last – Either last year or the year before got ranked as the eighth on number eight on the on gazelle states and it's a state like Kansas to be, you know, above forty two other states and, and that's largely due to K Tech. So I'm I'm with you on that soapbox, Rich. Well, uh, one last thing is, you know, Kansas is about 30th in population, and that the, the stat you just referenced being eighth in gazelle companies, and that's companies that grow at a rate of 20% a year for at least five years, is a phenomenal statistic which everybody would love to have. And I think the KTEC program, the Pipeline program, the Kansas Bioscience uh, Authority, all of the members of that KTEC network, the Centers of Excellence, uh, the MAMTEC organization, all of this contributes. And if you really remember the ecosystem we were talking about? Yes. The ecosystem I described is what it's taken 25 years to build within Kansas. Mm -hmm. We have most of the elements of that ecosystem within the Kansas City area and within the state of Kansas. It may only take one year to destroy something that has taken 25 years to build. So. Okay. Uh, anyway, that, we're, we're going back I, I, to the... Yeah. I distracted you there. You were talking about funding. Yeah, we're talking about funding. And uh, and I had mentioned to you when we were offline that I had just heard the president of the National Venture Capital Association speak on Tuesday. And let me give you a few stats from their perspective. Of all of the formal risk capital in the United States, uh, NVCA, which represents the formal venture capitalist, 
they represent 90% of the risk capital. Uh, in 2009, the VCs raised $16 billion. In 2010, they raised $12 billion. Uh, in prior years, the average that they raise, this is new money to go into funds to to invest, is generally around 25 to 26 million. In 1999, there was 18 billion invested, uh, and in 2010, 22 billion invested, which means that they're investing more now than they raised, and there's a, a problem with that formula. Uh, if you don't raise more money, you're not going to have money to invest in the future. So, Absolutely. Um, and the VCs are investing in later stage deals rather than early stage deals because their portfolios generally haven't generated the returns for the limited partners that who invested in them seven, ten years ago, which means that they have to look for things that have a quicker return, and early stage companies and startups don't generate immediate returns. The other thing is the IPO market, uh, and Secretary Geithner with the with the Treasury just had a conference Monday and Tuesday because of the concern uh, of the difficulty in getting initial public offerings today. There is such a shortage in IPOs, uh, and generally if you look at job creation, the statistic I did not know was that the, primary, uh, the, the greatest increase in jobs created by venture-backed companies occurs after they go public. And what they're saying right now, in order to get an exit or a return, it takes seven years before a company generally is acquired, and in today's world it takes at least nine for them to go public. Wow. So uh, if you look at just the VC world, um, there's challenges. The angel capitals, which in, the angels, which invest as much as venture capitalists uh, on an annual basis, basically have decreased their investment over the last couple of years by about 25%, and they're following the trends of the VCs, which means that they're investing in later-stage companies. Now, uh, so if you have the VCs and the angels who aren't investing as much as they used to and are doing later-stage, the public funding world is generally who picks up that slack. So what's happening in the 50 states? 49 of the 50 states have budget deficits. Right. Okay, the largest investor in early-stage investing in the United States over the last two years was the Ben Franklin program in Pennsylvania and TEDCO in Maryland. Ben Franklin's budget has been cut 40%. KTEC has been one of the larger early-stage investors in Kansas. I hate to even think about what's going to happen to the budget for some of the early-stage investment from Kansas. So if the states aren't investing, VCs aren't investing, and angels aren't investing as much as they used to, where does an early stage and a startup company Absolutely. go? That's my question to you. So the key is that that gets back to the relevance point in the bootstrapping. Uh, in the programs like the pipeline in Kansas City uh, and in the Kansas area are much more critical uh, to the entrepreneurs to get them to the stage where they can be high growth and investable by the people looking to make outside investment. The key is is that if I'm an entrepreneur out there with a business, other than in social innovation or in what I'd classify IT today, uh, I have to leverage my resources much more effectively. I have to go after SBIR grants if it's a technology, and that's the Small Business Innovation Research Program, which provides about $2.5 billion a year from 11 federal agencies based on a competitive basis. And if your listeners have not looked at that program, uh, they should look at it. 
and generally the state organizations or regional organizations have SBIR assistance programs to educate entrepreneurs and how to apply for those grants. The bottom line is it isn't easy out there to be an entrepreneur today. And uh, for your listeners, I would say that the bootstrapping is unbelievably important. And uh, there's uh, a lot of people that talk about uh, the failure rates of small businesses. Today it's more important to um, determine whether or not you're going to fail quickly because it's going to be very hard to sustain a business on a very long period of time because the money is not going to be there. So you have to basically learn how to get your business going, get the product into customers' hands very quickly, and determine whether or not there's going to be a market for it. If there isn't, get on to your next deal. Right. And that brings me to to the next question, and and that is about government's role in innovation. A couple of things here. You've already talked a bit about government's role in funding and how governments are strapped for for money so that that's not – necessarily going to be a as big a role as they have played. But government as an innovator itself and also government in terms of providing the resources that not not necessarily the funding which we which we just talked about the issues there, but government in providing the resources that businesses need to do all those things you just mentioned so that they can get up to speed quickly to prove their relevance. Where where do you see government playing in all this? Well, government definitely plays a role, and the government should be a catalyst. Uh, And the term I'm using today around the world is one I coined about five years ago, and it's innovation intermediary. Mm -hmm. And, And the reason for that is we need people who understand where all of the assets, resources, and funding exist and uh, find some way to accelerate the rate of connectivity of the people who need those resources to the people who can provide either the services and or the funding. And uh, and I use KTEC as a model. I hate to use that as a broken record, but it is a state-based innovation intermediary that generally has a good handle through its commercialization centers, incubators, centers of excellence, its funding programs, the MANTEP program, to understand who the resources are that can provide some of the funding and or services that an entrepreneur would need. So the role that they play is an innovation intermediary not to provide all of the tools or funding, but to be a resource to connect. And I think that's a role that government can, can play. And at the national level, there's a new program that was just started within the last month called Startup America. Yes, yes. And so what they're trying to do is replicate what some of the states have been doing with their intermediary concept at a national level because that's this is being created by the Obama administration in partnership with Steve Case, who is the founder of AOL and his foundation, and the Kauffman Foundation, which is based in Kansas City, is two of the original funders to help support this national innovation or startup intermediary. So the jury's still out as to what it's really going to do, but right now its biggest role it's playing is creating awareness uh, of the challenges that exist and maybe some of the tools or programs that are available to help support small businesses. 
Right, and it is very, very new. Maybe only a month, two months ago that was announced. Uh, so so we the, ju- the jury is still out on the impact that will have. But as you said, it is already raising a lot of awareness. We're close to running out of time here, but I want to get this one last question in here, and that is uh, how is technology impacting innovation? And I'm not just talking about new innovations in technology itself. I'm talking about it more in terms of, it fostering the collaboration among all these different groups that we've talked about that are essential for innovation. How how has technology maybe helped to uh, accelerate uh, the progress of innovation? Well, I think that one of the things that's happening with, with technology is the ability to connect uh, globally uh, or nationally. Uh, I think people have the ability to access resources, researchers, uh, new ideas um, much more easily today than they have in the past if they use the technology that's available. And, you know, one of the best examples I use is uh, Boeing, who basically is creating one of the most sophisticated technological marvels of our time with their new superliners they create. But if you look at the open innovation network that exists around the world in, in order for them to be able to uh, build that plane or assemble it in Seattle, Washington. You have five continents. There's about 20 countries. I don't know how many languages that are involved. And it shows that basically you can uh, assemble, develop, design, and fly a plane uh, utilizing global resources, global technologies, many different languages, all different types of cultural barriers, and and produce a product. So I think that's another thing for our li- for your listeners is to say, think beyond the resources which you are aware of. Look for those things which are uh, the most sophisticated or most advanced that can help complement your business, because you have the ability to connect with almost anyone in the world today. Uh, to help support you. Um, and it's not easy, but I believe uh, one of my theories, and it's the book I am going to write, which I haven't written yet, it's going to be one degree, and it's about one degree of separation. Ah. I think the the key on this, Kelly, is uh, those who are most connected have the ability to accelerate their uh, the rate of their idea or their product to the market much more effectively because they can access the resources and the tools, the networks, and the customers because of their connectivity. So if I could say one thing in closing uh, for your listeners is uh, get connected to as many people that can add value to your company, your process, your product, your technology uh, as quickly as you can. Absolutely, and, and social media plays a role in that as well. So make sure that you're 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 uh, building those networks and harvesting all the contacts that you can out of those, the relevant contacts. So, Rich, it has been wonderful getting to reconnect with you and to share all of the wisdom and knowledge that you have on this topic with our listeners, a lot of good advice today. We um, also want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to promote your newsletter one more time. Where would people go to get your daily innovation newsletter? Uh, it's innovationamerica.us forward slash daily, uh, or just go to the website, innovationamerica.us. And Kelly, I want to congratulate you on the excellent job you're doing. And I know you've just gone through some transformation with 
your organization and your pub- publication there. The quality is uh, tremendous, and I think you're doing a great service for the people in uh, the Kansas City metropolitan area in the Midwest. So keep up the good work there. Well, thanks very much, Rich. Appreciate that. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.